the people that turn it into a business, the people that are smarter, the Shane Dawson's of the world who pivot and do what they're doing will survive over time. They'll become major players and somebody will buy or offer what I'm talking about real advantages to somebody like Shane. In this episode, we talk with one of the most successful producers in Hollywood, Chris Moore. His films include Oscar-winning Manchester by the Sea, Oscar-winning Goodwill Hunting, which helped launch the careers of both Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and also box office hits in American Pie. Chris has also broken new ground in television and music, having co-founded Live Planet along with Damon, Affleck, and Sean Bailey, and have produced Emmy-nominated Project Greenlight. This is Creative Disruption, the intersection where entertainment, data, and creativity meet. Here's your hosts, Ricky Ray Butler and Daryl Leaves. Everybody, welcome to the Creative Disruption Podcast. Really excited about this episode because we're going to talk about everything that's disrupting the industry. And we're going to talk with people and platforms that are really disrupting the community and the industry as a whole. And I'm joined by uh, my cohort, my uh, co host. You like that? (laughs) The man with the best looking beard (laughs) in the world, Ricky Ray Butler. How are you doing, Ricky? Doing well. So. Here's the thing. I, I really love when we kind of talk about things that are disrupting the world, the things yeah. that are disrupting the, the industry. Um, and for me, you know, there's been a lot of things that have transformed the industry in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the biggest disruptions by far is, you know, YouTube and Netflix and Amazon, you know, going from there. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder the effect that it actually has and translates that into Hollywood and with producers and creatives. I mean, what's your, what's your thoughts? Well, I think a, a lot of different things are happening. One, I think these are being successful because, you know, they're catering to consumers. And, and this is what, you know, um, viewers want. They want to be able to be in an environment where they don't have to see as many advertisements. Right. Um, they want to be able to watch things on demand and, and watch it, you know, in a much more easy way. But also, you have like a younger generation that wants to consume as much content as possible, as quickly as possible. And that's why like a YouTube is doing so well. So I think a lot of things are happening. One thing is what the consumers want, but it's also decentralizing, I guess, you know, I guess the, the, the powers that, 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 that have existed, you know, from the very beginning of Hollywood, where Anyone can go out there, and if they're willing to work and, and follow insight and be very data-driven and create good content, you know, they, they can you know, make something happen. Yeah, and I think you know, if I was to go back 20, 30 years and think about some of the people that I've worked with that are creatives, they would have no chance to get discovered, no chance to be found. There wasn't any infrastructure in place to do that. And I, you know, I kind of, I kind of look at it. It's kind of uh, uh, ominous from the the guests that we have here today. Yeah. Um, I, I know how he got his start, you know, in Hollywood, and I wonder how hard it was to pitch an idea, to get money to come behind it, to actually get it to production, and then after the production to get it out to the world for people to see. I mean, uh, it's a totally different landscape today. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, I mean, I, I'm sure in some ways it's harder today, uh, but. Um, but but I'm sure it's actually even more complicated before. So we should probably introduce you know Chris Moore um, that, that's joining us today. Chris is, is a good friend of mine. He um, is a rock star producer. You know he he's is behind films like Goodwill Hunting, um, American Pie, as as well as Manchester by the Sea. Chris, welcome. Thank you for having me. Hey, so Chris, give us just a quick background about yourself and, and what you're currently working on. 
okay, I'm basically a traditional producer struggling to find my way in this disruptive <laughs> world. Uh, I guess now I'm considered an old man. Uh, I, you know, I came out here, worked in the mailroom, worked my way up, uh, got lucky. First few projects were very successful. I always tell people that ask me, you know, that's the best way to go. Uh, a couple of the guys that I hitched my wagon to, because I think it is also a talent-driven business, uh, were Matt and Ben, and they turned out to be relatively talented guys. And so uh, we had a great run. Um, and now I'm sort of looking at different projects and have the great luxury to be able to pick things based on the people or the project. Um, and so I have a few things that are, you know, being worked on right now. So, like, Goodwill Hunting is, like, one of my favorite films of all time. Like, it was, like, totally breathtaking and different, um, you know, and it, it really caused a disruption in the industry. Um, how was that starting with the concept itself and trying to get studios to even get behind that? I mean, what was you know, the process? It, it, it was such a different business. There was a giant spec screenplay market. You know, back then in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, people – thought movies could build franchises. They thought you could introduce a franchise through the vehicle of the movies. Yeah. And they also, there was a bunch of, you know, more, I like to call it, I hate to say it, and I'll probably lose jobs over this comment, but the, uh, <laughs> you know, not recording this, so there's like, just, there's too many MBAs. There's yeah. too many people now. And back in those days, there were still sort of crazy people who just had this weird assumption well, if we just make a good movie, the money will work out, yeah. right? It also, the business was growing so fast that home video had just started. You know, I'm a, I'm a guy who grew up through VHS and, you know, DVD coming and, and foreign markets had just exploded and t cable television was exploding. So if you had a good piece of content, you could sell it like six times. Yeah. So people were way more adventurous. They would just stare at you and be like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea for a movie. Let's go make it. Right. And if you were talented and if you thought it was good and, you know, did make something good, you had a pretty good run for the next 20 so years because you got a chance to get it out there and they marketed it. And the audience was still, you know, going to movies was a big deal for them. So if you're like starting uh, from scratch, like right now and you had Goodwill Hunting in your back pocket and you're like, OK, this is an amazing thing. We have some amazing talent. How would you do it today? Like, seriously. It's really hard. I mean, I think the first thing you do is I would have sat down with Matt and Ben and had a conversation. I mean, actually, let me step back. I'd say it depends on where they were, right? Because had they gone out and built a following, like, that's the difference is today, and you guys just mentioned it before, there are many pieces of talent that build a following through, I mean, sound old, the internet, uh, <laughs> that, that, uh, that get a following that then when they come to town, they're a sort of two-pronged attack. They have an audience that you can look at and try to figure out that monetization number, right? Like, yeah. if you got this many followers, how many people are really going to buy tickets? How many people might actually watch the show? What's that? And so if, if Matt and Ben had come and said, look, we, we've been out doing YouTube videos. We got 10 million followers. We decided we want to make a movie, Right. It would be a whole different conversation today because then the conversation you'd have is, you know, it's like rooster teeth. Is that what they're right, called? Yeah, yeah, right, to. right. You say to them, like, you look at them and you say, do you really want it to be a Paramount Pictures movie? <laughs> like, what's the point of that? Why not? Let's just go make it and sell it to your audience. And if 
somebody thinks it's great, throw it in some multiplexes somewhere. But if not, you don't need that anymore, right? Yeah. So again, the, it would depend on where they were. If you're a screenwriter and you know, you're sitting at home and you wrote a good script and you got two buddies that are really good actors and, you know, Sylvester Stallone did what they did on Good Will Hunting with Rocky, you know, a whole generation before us, which was he wrote a script for him to star in and turned out well for him. And, yeah, but yeah. he's not a YouTube star, yeah. right? Because he's older and he's still in the business. So I guess what I'd say is it's a different game because the marketing and how you're going to attract an audience is part of the conversation from day one. Whereas... In my experience over the years, <clears throat> the marketing didn't happen until somebody had already decided they were making the movie. Yeah. They wouldn't invite the marketing people to the meeting until you were already shooting. Wait, what's this movie about? Who's in this movie? Now the marketing guys, from what I understand, I'm not privy to this, but are, are big voices in the Greenlight Committee, right? Like, and I think that's why you see what gets made and how much they pay for it and that kind of stuff. Because the marketing guy's like, look, I can't sell that. How? I mean, think, Goodwill Hunting, awful title. Two guys no one's ever heard of, Matt and Ben, right? What's it about? It's about a math fucking genius who's, oh, excuse me. It's about a math genius who solves problems on the wall at MIT? What? What? No. And he bops up, spit you know, Right, exactly. He's stuff. like, what? And then there's a drunk professor in the basement of a community college played by a comedic star who's not funny? I mean, why don't you just keep going down the list of why this is the worst idea ever for a movie, right? And that's what happened today. They would just look at you and be like, that's insane. So what would have happened is you would have been in a situation where you would have either gone out and made it for 100 bucks yourselves, right? Which our generation had people doing that. Kevin Smith doing Clerks and, you know, Brothers McMullen and, you know, John and Vince and those guys doing uh, Swingers. You know, that's, that's what the model was there is if nobody – if nobody bought your thing going in, you had to decide whether you were going to dig down and, you know, Robert Rodriguez doing El Mariachi. And, you know, you were just like, all right, I'm going to go make the movie. And you had this whole system of then I'll go to festivals and then maybe we'll see it. And then maybe someone will buy it. And then maybe I'll get discovered. And then my next movie will get paid by for by somebody who's in the business. Today, none of that matters. I mean, these guys aren't even, they tried for a little while. I was part of that big wave where, a bunch of these big companies were trying to get crossover from YouTube into traditional media. And I think at a certain point, everyone's agreed, they're just different communities. They're different worlds. They're di and every now and then somebody crosses over. Every now and then there's a piece of talent. I don't know the guy's name, unfortunately, but I love that show, American Vandal. And that kid who starred in the first season is really funny. And, and he'll probably have a career as an actor if he wants to go off and do other stuff. But I heard he was a YouTube star before he got that, that part. But so it, it, it's different economies. It's different places. So you pick where you want to go launch it and how you're going to introduce yourself into the world. And I think the choice today that's also very different from Matt and Ben would have been, am I trying to – is this about me becoming a filmmaker? Is this about me becoming a full-length movie maker? Or is this about me becoming a star, right? Because I think that there's ways now that you can become a star much cheaper than making a full-length feature film and with far less risk. Right. You know, what I find fascinating, too, is that the, the changes with, with YouTube, for example, when YouTube came into the picture, you know, people could literally take a phone or a camera and just start to create 
Um, and I think that it kind of caused a you know creative revolution. It's like, look, we're not bound. If you want to get your message out there, you can broadcast this out to the world. Uh, Ricky, you've seen quite a few people. You work with quite a few people yeah. that started from very humble beginnings, and now they have massive audience and are making a ton of money. Like, oh yeah. Well, no, there's a lot of creators that you know literally started out of their bedroom and are now making eight figures. I mean, I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's a common thing now, and um, are they making eight? Am I allowed to ask questions? Yeah, sure, sure. Are, are they are they making eight figures in traditional media? Is that a paycheck from NBC? No. Right, they're making eight figures a totally different way but, but, in, in, in different streams of income too. And, and the thing is, is, they know a lot of people they look at these influencers or creators and think, oh, you know, these guys are just like the new celebrity. No, these 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 people are the new studios. Um, they control and own everything. And sometimes when working with them, it can be a lot more difficult. They're, they're sometimes way more independent, way more savvy, and they, they don't have to learn how to cooperate with a producer or a director. <laughs> they are the producer and the director. Right. And, 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 and so you know, some of them might just, you know, have, have some of a God complex or ego when working with them, and it's because they're, they're, they're used to and conditioned to always being in control. And, and calling the shots. And, but um, a lot of these you know, uh, influencers are these media gurus that are, are making millions and millions of dollars. And as a company, we, we spend tens of millions of dollars you know, um, you know, um, sponsoring their videos or, or doing integrations in, into their content. And, um, but most of them, um, especially the ones that are you know, native on the platforms, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or Twitch.tv, most of them... Um, basically, you know, started from humble beginnings. They, 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 they've done everything without an investment, and, and they've become very um, famous and, 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 and very successful. But um, it's not easy, though, because they have to continue to sustain. Like, there's a lot of people that – it's kind of like TV series, right? Like, you, you, have, you, you have the pinnacle moment where you're on the top and then slowly become irrelevant. And so we're now seeing – which creators are able to continue to stay relevant? One, one perfect example, someone that you worked with on the chair is Shane Dawson. Mm -hmm. you know, he's one of the OGs on YouTube, and um, he's been around for a really long time, and he just continues to make himself relevant, and he continues to pivot and evolve with the platform. And you know, he's just a really nice guy, super, super humble person, but... but is always relevant because he's he's working his butt off to make sure he's making content that people want to view and see. Yeah, and I, what I find it fascinating is you don't need this huge budget to create anymore. You know, it's just like you literally can pull your phone out and create. And I think that's enabling more. Like I said, that, that creative revolution that's actually happening. But do you like what do you see for, like for the future, Chris? Like like with Netflix, with Amazon, with you know Hulu and YouTube all these creative originals from Hollywood's perspective. Like, where do you see this going? Well, I, I think there, there has been, what I really think YouTube created was a whole other category of product. Instagram's the same, Twitch TV is the same, which is, you know, sort of expert amateur, for lack of a better word, right? Like they, they your bar of expectation, right? Like if you did Aquaman the way Shane does videos, right? It would not be about to make a billion dollars, right? 
So the audience, you may say, is very different and it's been disrupted, but I would say what's different is that we've created different expectations to the audience. And what's happened and what's snuck up on the industry and what you see happening now on a creative level, because I think there's two things you're talking about. There's delivery. Streaming won, right? right? Streaming wins. There's not, you can look on any industry you want, whether it's music, TV, movies, short form, streaming wins. People like it. Getting stuff anywhere, anytime, won right? Like clearly that's just makes better sense than, oh, on Tuesday nights, you can tune in to see your favorite show. Like what the, what is that? And that's the dumbest a, idea ever. Exactly. And the fact that some people still do it is insane to me. Yeah. So I would just put the delivery changes of streaming anywhere, anytime. I think Netflix is doing a great job leading the charge into that of just release it all at once. Just release it all on a Tuesday. Just It doesn't matter. Like the point is, it just needs to be available. But for creatives, the Netflix thing is just another buyer. Well, I, I believe the generation that is consuming content right now and the newer generations there, it's like they're, they're into these moments. They, they have their own control. They're like, hey, I want to watch what I'm, what I'm into right now. And they will literally take time off work so they can binge watch, you know, whatever, you know, House of Cards or Bird Box or whatever it is on Netflix, you know, and they just literally just dig in. But also, too, I think um, one of the things that I noticed just with the industry and so on, it's like for so many years, uh, the industry says, this is what you want, you know, and they were saying, this is how you want it. This is what you want. And I think the transformation change is basically saying, no, you know, the creator is going to create based on what people want to watch. And right. we able to see a huge shift in YouTube. And, and to me, that is the number one change. And that is the most underlying transformative change is Hollywood has been totally arrogant and stuck up and has been able to live for almost a hundred years and function as a hundred years as literally believing they are not in a consumer product business. They believe that they are in some sort of art business, that they are in some <laughs> sort of magic business, that they will tell you what you're going to do on a Friday night. And that's it. And then when TV came, they were going to tell you what you're going to do every night. Yeah. Right? And the point is that the audience, again, starting with younger people, but I, look, I'm over 50, right? Like my, my friends are all doing the same thing. No one, nobody wants to be told when you have to do something. Nobody wants to have a, oh, I got to rush home to go see my what? Like, <laughs> so first you started with the recording ability with the TiVos and the DVRs. But and now it was pushing back. They right, push they're back pushing on back that. on all of it because it all has to do with marketing. If you control what the consumer does, right? But every other consumer business realized 15 years ago, some 30 years ago, it's not, you can't push back on the consumer. The consumer will find a way right to get it the way they want it i think that's the reason why youtube has been successful and why like twitch.tv are you familiar with twitch yeah, like for example the gaming it used to be one of those things where you'd be really quiet about if you really were into gaming you know <laughs> this is yeah. awkward community when, when i was playing football in high school i wouldn't tell my friends i was playing video games at home at night right. um but you know, today it's 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 mainstream. It's huge, and 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 there's a huge appetite for watching people playing video games, which sounds so stupid. However, it's a thing, and it's mainstream, and and and, and that's why Twitch exists because people want to 
live watch live streaming of people playing Fortnite or but, Minecraft. Or but the whole, other the video whole thing games. about it is, I, I have this conversation with my dad yeah. and my mom too. They're like, "Why do people watch people playing video games? I just don't get it." It's like, "Well, why do you watch the Utah Jazz? Why do you watch the Lakers?" Yeah. Like, it's like, competitive. You go out, go it's out, entertaining. Go out and play. That's crazy as it sounds. <laughs> but and and then you know one thing that. A, a lot of people used to really poke fun at was like the beauty community. Yeah, watching people do makeup, makeup. tutorials. Well, there's been a lot of people making millions of dollars doing those makeup tutorials, and and there's a lot of people that watch those that that, that, that content, and and so you know, there's one thing about being data driven, and, and I think that's where a lot of TV. I mean, for a while there, and and you know, mainstream you know um, entertainment. They, they, they weren't being data-driven. They weren't really seeking what people were wanting to watch. Um, I think they were just putting content out there. And now I think it's changing everything. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why, you know, Marvel is doing as well as it is doing today because geek culture is so in. People love comic books. Um, and, and, um, and a lot of people love those stories. But I, what I would say to you, though, if you look at it, possibly a tiny different point of view and this sure. is as a producer you're trying to figure out how to sell shit into the system mm -hmm. is that the reason disney is winning of the traditional media companies if you were to argue is because they became a consumer products part company sure. 25 years ago sure. when they start up or longer when they started yeah. opening parks when they started selling toys when they started doing merchandise they realized all oh, this is basically you know even iron man is a giant advertisement for sure. Halloween costumes. Oh, absolutely. And that's why those guys understand, and it's not scary to them, although I think their purchase of makers might have been an, an error because they didn't quite understand the creator side of it. Right. But they, they definitely are well, consumer business, model, business side of that it. That business model of MCNs was a joke. <laughs> it is so bad. I mean, I mean, I mean, the bubble was there. Everyone knew the bubble was there. Everyone knew it wasn't sustainable. But traditional media didn't, they and didn't, they were trying to get into it, and, a, not and just, they bought not in. Not just Disney, but a bunch of different companies <laughs> all bought in, and they, they, they bought into these flawed business plans, and it's, it's, it's a sad thing. I mean, I kind of feel bad for those that made those decisions because they look really bad in those organizations right now. MCNs. I mean, the whole thing of it's like a mafia approach, you know, just like, hey, we're going to take care of you and we'll collect yeah. money, but what are you going to do for us now? Because, you know, we're supposed to help you out. Oh, they would <laughs> always try to muscle us. Oh, <laughs> like all the time. So we, we you get Guido coming no, and said, hey. <laughs> well, no, we, we started working with creators and having brands work with these creators well before the MCNs. And you're familiar with yeah. a lot of our heritage with Norm Marshall. And Absolutely. we've been doing this with traditional media as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, we got to the point I mean, where like, uh, these MCNs would be knocking on doors saying, hey, you got to work through us. And we're like, wait a second. We've known this creator or this influencer right. for a long time. You know, we've given them a first sponsorship. Um, um, no thanks. Right. <laughs> and, and, and we'll work with either their manager you know, uh, or if they have a preferred agent or, or a producer. And, and so we always just kept streamlining you know, directly to the talent or, or through the representation that you know, they chose. Um, but but they, these companies, I think, just got too big, too fast, and they tried being exclusive everywhere with everyone. And all those people, you know, that they represented, which is tens of thousands, you know, all ended up being frustrated with not getting any business deals and having to share a percentage of the revenue with this, you know, big company. And it just it just wasn't built to to sustain itself 
with, with working with creators. Right. And, and, well, and but, it bring you a lot but, of money. But the thing is, I get that a creator, a modern day creator would still want that. Sure, I absolutely. get why people signed up. The difference is there's nobody today who can deliver it. One of, one of my biggest things, and I think you can appreciate this when I'm working with a creator, is like when they, when they, when they first taste success, now I'm like, okay, now let's make this a business. Like, okay, yeah, you're creative, you're doing here, but let's make it a business. You need to have these components in place to make it a business. Why outsource to this other company when you can actually do this yourself? And this is the type of people that you need to bring in to do it. And th those that actually do that are building a revenue model and a, a business that's just, the content is only one source of audience development and you know getting the word out and it's also marketing, but then it opens up so many other doors because there's so many different ways to make money when you treat it like a business like instead of just like a, oh, merchandise alone, like merch. Like I think YouTube's done a good job oh, yeah. at saying, okay, buy my merch. I think that's just like getting your foot in the door to oh, yeah, really sure. some great things. And one of the things I, 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 I preach and I talk with people, it's like, be your own brand deal, right? Like create, figure out what your, your audience truly wants, create a product. You can get it sourced in China. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get it fulfilled through Amazon. You can have, you know, fulfillment house do this but create your own product and you can make probably 10 X 30 X what you'd be making. Yeah. Just by creating content, you can do actually take this through this cycle. And so my big thing is, I think that's, what's disrupting it. It's like, this is a new opportunity where anyone can come into the space, be creative, get a following and really monetize it in all these different areas. Now, the thing that I worry about is uh, the oversaturation. You get so many people coming into it, you know, have you seen this coming down? I mean, you, you see Amazon, I think, had like uh, 560 uh, shows that, yeah. that's greenlit to, to go in the next yeah. little bit. Um, is that Are we going to see kind of a plateau in this? Well, you've actually were one of the pioneers in this area with Manchester by the Sea by selling a film to, to Amazon. How did that work, and do you, and you think that's going to continue to happen? Well, I mean, I think Manchester, unfortunately, for this conversation, may not be as exemplary of any future um, okay. only because you know even Bezos himself has come out and said they're not doing projects like Amazon really they bought Lord of the Rings right they're not right. there they want stuff that moves the needle so I think sure. they'll change what I this is where I I react a little bit with guys from the industry the new industry or the the digital disruptive industry and and the entertainment industry feeling how different it is and is exciting to be different but the truth of the matter is they're just another player. That we, we were very lucky. We had a massively successful screening at Sundance. So we had five studios buy, offering money. And the situation that was different about Amazon was, and, and I'll be really honest about it, was they offered more money. There wasn't anything about their platform. It wasn't anything about being dis digital. It wasn't anything. And of the two digital platforms, they were willing to do a theatrical release because we wanted to get nominated for some Oscars. Sure. Totally selfish, totally old school, <laughs> totally reasons. We got more money and we got a theatrical marketing campaign. And the truth of the matter is part of the success, and this is where I think is what I would worry about the oversaturation on the YouTube side of the business and on my side of the business, is that therefore you have to find a way that you hear people talk about all the time to step out from the noise. So like when you ask how's an old producer trying to sell stuff or do stuff today, the biggest part of your pitch you have to come up with today is how you're going to set yourself out from the noise, right? Like right now is Oscar voting time. I'm a member of the Academy, right? Mm -hmm. 
So far, I'm up to 89 DVDs I've got. Oh, wow. Right? I'm sure that by the time, you know, the next week or so, because the voting for nominations is in a week, right? That sounds I- I'll be over 200. There'll be a wave in the next week, right? And the point is that there's no one on earth who's going to watch a movie 200 weeks of the year. There's probably no one on earth who's watched 200 movies over a year, right? I and, watch my movies on airplanes now. Okay. I mean, which is a disaster I, I a for those nice. of us who are trying to, because they still edit for it's content. A, <laughs> not the foreign ones. That's true. <laughs> but, but, that, but that's why what I would say to you is that the, the reason that it's, the Amazon deal wasn't that different, and the reason that I feel like the oversaturation of what you're seeing in the YouTube is if you look historically, right, those guys, and, and uh, my wife made a great movie about P.T. Barnum, who, in my opinion, is the precursor of every YouTube I star you've that. talked about, it, is those guys on YouTube right now are the showmen of today. And when you say people are surprised that somebody wants to watch a video of somebody playing video games or people are surprised somebody wants to watch somebody applying makeup, I would argue, and I don't know who these people are. Yeah. I know who Jack Septicai is because he's on in my kid's room every <laughs> fucking day. But the point, the point is that if you ask my kid why this guy over some other guy, it's because they're good entertainers, mm-hmm. right? Funny. Their platform has been watching video games because that was their way in. But if I was like UFC, I'd call one of those guys and say, hey, do you like UFC fighting? You want to come do the commentary on a UFC fight? Do you like soccer? Do you like, you know, you know because that you're right. There's no difference than Bill Walton or Patrick, I mean, uh, John McEnroe doing tennis. You're doing it for the entertaining person. John Madden was a great football commentary. John Madden would have the greatest YouTube channel ever right now oh, yeah. if he could have done his own channel talking about stuff. But he has to have the whiteboard, though, because you have to, well, you have to can, show the you can do that. And, and that, that's happening. I, mean, that, I think that's all starting to happen but, right but now. That, not, not as much as sports. Right. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, everything else, yeah. But everything else, like, it's happening on Nickelodeon. It's happening on MTV. Like, I mean, Liza Koshy, I think, has something on Nickelodeon and MTV. Um, but with sports, you know, that, yeah. that, that'll probably happen as well. Like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with what happened um, this last year in Manchester the, the the KSI Logan Paul boxing fight. Did you hear about yeah. that? Oh my yeah. gosh. Does that just blow your mind? Yeah. Like they, they sold out a freaking arena. Yeah. And and, and I mean they sold live stream. Yeah. I mean I mean nuts. it's estimated tens of millions of dollars that were that were made on that. Yeah. And, and they tied. Yeah. <laughs> hey so rematch. Hey, I was there. Right. And and to be honest, everyone's talking so much crap that they tied, but I was there and it looked pretty freaking real. Okay. Like, I mean, I was I was drinking the Kool Aid. I'll say that much. But so well, I think I think that sort but of. But they're showmen. That's what PT Barnum would do. What did he have? He had freaks. He had, right. and they're all sucking up to the UFC. They're all right. like, there's a there's a handful of creators that are saying, "Hey, let me go in and fight because they want to be making that kind of money." Right. But that's know? a but. But Floyd Mayweather yeah. made 125 million dollars last right, time he fought. Right. 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 So if if you're those guys, you're saying to yourself, "Okay, we made 10 million dollars." That's all cool today because you made $10 million out of something that people thought was a total fucking joke, yeah. right? Right. The, the, what I'm trying to say is all that's been disrupted is that there, we've proven there's an audience for it, just yeah. like the craft beer business. Yeah. Sure. Right? There's a craft beer. You have two right next to this building, right, where you can go get all 500 different kinds of beer and do whatever <laughs> it is, whatever. I'm a Coors Light guy, right? Like, so I'm an idiot. But the point is that the point is like, the audience is driving it right now. 
Sure. And that has not been what's been happening in Hollywood for a hundred years. The irony is when it started, that is what it was. If you go back and look at the histories, and I hate to sound like the old history dude, but if you look at what the actual Warner Brothers were doing, or what the guys who started MGM were doing, mm -hmm. they were following the audience literally home from the theater <laughs> to see like what they were doing. If you listen to Russell Simmons and these guys talk about rap, they got cassettes in their car and they're driving around to radio stations, right? The point is, this is entertainment 101. And the difference is that digital technology can reach everyone. So the numbers are massive. Right. So you talk about how cool it is that they sold out an arena. Right. Right. Back during rap music. That was great. I'm sure when you were the Warner Brothers, that was awesome. You could sell out one theater in one city. You're a genius. Right. Right. Today, the expectation is much higher. Right. So when you try to sell a piece of content to somebody, even that live stream, the number that really is amazing is how many people watched it on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Right. That's where the ten million dollars came from. It wasn't that the people that came were almost like extras in the show. Oh yeah. Right? Like they they were like the they the people that actually came to the fight. The thing that was amazing you know, was that's where, that's they the could reach was, 100%. How many people watched it? You know, I, I think it's over millions. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It, it was around a million, I believe. It right. Was well over a million. Right. Yeah, so you have well, oh, 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 there's a bunch of like like pirated. pirated content out there as well. So right. it's but well my, over a million. But my yeah. point is But but live, that's that's a huge number. But there are shows on television right now that are averaging three hundred thousand people watching. Sure. And an wow. entire net, <laughs> an entire network. Well, so this is but it's just a facade and people actually. Right. And so the point facade. is the difference is those guys, Logan and the other guy, have no infrastructure. Or their infrastructure is the five guys you recommended that they hire, right? Yeah. You know, stars network, right? Or, you know, a smaller network on cable, they have eight hundred employees. Well and they're getting three hundred thousand people to watch their shows. So 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 we talked, you know, about these like native creators, like these YouTubers, but a lot of these like mainstream Hollywood actors and actresses, or or like these um, musicians, um, these pop stars. If you're seeing what they're doing, like some of them are, you know, going onto like YouTube and, and making waves, like a Will Smith. Yeah. But then um, on on Instagram, you know, you have like a Selena Gomez that has like 120 million followers. Yeah, that's crazy. And 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 if 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 she was consistent with her content. And and knew how to do I mean how to you know do stuff with her videos I mean she would be averaging around thirty million views yeah I mean I mean I mean an upload and she could do that every day I mean she has several that have done really well but she just puts a bunch of random crap up there and it's not very consistent so my question to you is is that also sort of a threat you know to, I mean to um, entertainment and how things are currently structured when um, these celebrities that have a history of movie, going to movies and, and, and being on TV shows, start creating their own infrastructure and creating their own program and, and in a sense, become their own network or own studio. 100%. And, and I think that's what's scaring everybody. And, and my personal bet, we can have a gentleman's bet between us, that all of them wind up part of the five or six giant media companies. And I think the industry that you look at is music, right? So when Pearl Jam wakes up and realizes, well, we can sell our own tickets, right. we can sell our own merch, we can do whatever, we'll still keep the, re the record label around, but instead of us getting 20% and the record label getting 80%, we'll get 80% and we'll give the record label 20%, right? Mm -hmm. That's what's scaring everybody. Because if big companies, if the entertainment industry, the people you're talking about, 
start only getting 20% of the revenue of all of the content that's getting made, they're out of business. They don't have the margin to survive. And I'm not saying, and again, I just want to be very clear. I have no idea what Pearl Jam's deal is. I, I, so that was not inside information. I don't know them. I don't know. Any, but my point is what I did read in the press was that they switched it. And now you can just go to their website, buy all their stuff, find out their tour thing, see what's going on. Eddie then has a form sell. I know because I went to Eddie's concert. But the point is that the, the, the point is that that's what's changing is that if you're a creator, and I think this is where what you're seeing right now is there's a little bit of a correction even in YouTube because we've oversaturated it. And you guys have both made the point. Selena was smarter. You go to your guys who you're advising and you tell them you gotta turn it into a business. The people that turn it into a business, the people that are smarter, the Shane Dawson's of the world who pivot and do what they're doing, will survive over time, they'll become major players, and somebody will buy or offer what I'm talking about, real advantages to somebody like Shane, right? Mm-hmm. That, that he doesn't have. So the guys to look at, just as an example, in the entertainment side, similar, are, say, Matt and Trey from South Park, right? right. So those guys, in some ways, are the perfect example of what you guys are talking from a whole generation ago. Right, they're creating animated stuff. It's funny in their college. People kind of like it. There's no internet, so they can't get it out to anybody. So they make a video. They send it around Hollywood. Somebody finds it. Somebody shows it to somebody else. All of a sudden, it's a show. It's a huge hit show. They love doing it. I mean, there's very few creators who spend 25 years on the same thing. Right? They they like doing it. They've tried other stuff. Haven't been quite as successful in their sort of live action movies as they were with with, their Broadway shows. But but then then they come up with Book of Mormon and then they but so the point is there's a group of guys that you look at and you say, if they had come up during YouTube and they had turned it into a business, right, they'd be OGs. Right. Because South Park stuff would have fit perfectly into that audience. The other irreverent stuff, even as something like the perfect example is the Rooster Teeth movie or even Shane's movie he did for me with the chair. Right. Mm -hmm. Is very much made for that YouTube audience. And the problem we ran into was the YouTube audience isn't a great crossover audience to buy tickets in movie theaters. So we lost money on the actual movie. But YouTubers love the movie and it's been watched like 20 million times. So is the distribution way I mean, it was a, it was a disconnect we had an audience over here that wanted to get it that couldn't get it and we had a distribution company over here that didn't know how to get to that audience right. that's what's going to change but in the case of rooster teeth they make the decision we're going to make our movie and then why would we bother to go through all of that there's middlemen there's idiots making ads that aren't right. going to make sense they don't know our audience as well as we do that why why would i even enter into that conversation they make it for their audience right and the point is that Matt and Trey, Basketball, for instance, which I think is a really funny movie, right? Would have done great for the Matt and Trey community on YouTube, right? It would have been a massive success. In mainstream Hollywood, it's not considered a massive success. But in their world, who cares? They would have made a ton of money, right? And so th- that's why I think they ended up, when they were looking at what to do, they were getting enough support from Comedy Central from Viacom as a whole. And so they made a big joint venture and a kind of thing with Viacom, right? And so they, st- and I think if you look at that, that's what will start happening. Right now, I'm sure there are, and this is the problem, is there are MBAs that are doing it. They need some creative people doing it. But there's people probably at all the major media companies 
who are looking at all the YouTubers, trying to figure out who has set a business, trying to figure out who isn't, you know, I forget what the guy was his name, PewDiePie, who said yeah. the Nazi thing or whatever, and you're <laughs> Disney and you just bought that guy, and you're like, what am I, an idiot? Like, why, why would he do that, right? And, you're, and the point is that, that they want to avoid all that. They don't have time for it, and they're not interested. So they're going to start letting people bubble up. There'll be a whole, agencies will start coming in. There'll be a whole thing, and they'll, they'll end up in a certain way. And that's why, in my opinion, the MCMs, that's the thing they did wrong, was going in. The idea of a group isn't a bad idea, but the idea that you're going to be able to sell the ads on these things, and there's some power going to come from having more of them to sell, that's what's changed, is, is there's no more leverage play. Because each creator is different. They want different ads. They want different brands. They want different. So each creator has to have their own team looking at their own thing, right? And so it's when you force them, well, no, we're going to sell an ad on all of these channels. Exactly. People are like, well, that's stupid. I don't want that guy on my channel, right? And that's what I think is very different is my generation came out of this mental point of view, which is you'd sell into the system, right? And you sort of let the system do whatever, Yep. you know? Well, I, I think there's like a, a very, very important ecosystem that's in play. I mean, you have the viewer. The viewer is going to decide, you know, what people are going to create. And then you have the creator. But you also have the advertiser. And I think it's like, like this very, really awkward ecosystem because it seems like it's never in balance. Either it's like heavy driven on the 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 viewer side or the advertiser side, which kind of throws it off with the creator or whatever it may be. And it's something that just... It needs to work out. And I think I think the future where things are going is the people that understand the advertising, the people that understand the eyeballs that are watching the content uh, will change the content and the industry of where it's going. And I, I can see right now there's a lot of really cool uh, predictive modeling and AI-driven uh, tools that can help see patterns. Because at the end of the day, it's like oh, yeah. seeing the patterns of what's actually happening and saying, hey, there's a pattern of, of people uh, you know, watching these certain types of videos and why are they doing it? And it, you start assessing that and then it's like, how can we leverage that? And I think that's where the power, where it's going to change creativity from there. And it's like, these, well, they have these little sub-communities. Yeah, yeah. And well, it's because this AI is going to be able to monitor and interpret the why it's successful. So right now, when it comes to data and when it comes to like structured data, like, like basically all the data that we get public that you can put in a spreadsheet, you see what's going on. Um, but now technology is getting to the point with deep learning and with um, AI where you can actually have these machines look at the actual content, both the visual, the audios, and look at it from like 10 million different perspectives and figure out, okay, where are the patterns of what's working and what's not working? And that's something that's already happening today. And, and um, a lot of the platforms like Netflix and, 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 and YouTube are using this sophisticated uh, um, technology. But I think it's going to be very helpful for producers, very helpful for the future studios to have this technology to figure out what to predict of like what people are watching and what's going to resonate with them and why and how it should be filmed, how it should be edited, etc. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be fascinating uh, how it's going to change creative. I think what's interesting, though, um, and you made this point earlier before the, the podcast, but it's like creators are going to be told what to create based off of what people want. And, mm -hmm. and instead of saying, oh, I'm a creative, I'm going to be an artist, 
I mean, how does that, I mean, how do you, how do you deal with that? This is why I say the big change in creative is we created different types of content, right? Because what I would say is there's still always going to be, to your point, the, what makes a creator a creator and what makes, in my opinion, a talent a talent is they see some version of the future that right. we all don't see. And the thing that's predominantly wrong, in my opinion, with what you just said, and not wrong in that I disagree, 85% of the content will be made exactly the way you just described. They'll analyze the shit out of it. They'll come in and say flashy colors and big cuts and this and that work and we want to do this. And there will be an entire industry of content that will be filling people's need for content, right? The problem is that the things that really stand out, the things that are different, are the things that literally counter everything that that AI is going to tell you, right? And Good Will Hunting is the example I gave you. American Pie became the success American Pie was, again, and I'm not saying I'm personally a visionary. Or, or, or was it one of those things that, I mean, I mean, because I mean, obviously you didn't have the data, you didn't have the analysis to know that people were going to love that, but... but it was something that struck a chord with people. Right. And so it's like, how, how, but, but if, you, but if you use your model, yeah. they would never have made it because they had just invented PG 13. The sure, wife sure. of the vice president of the United States was out Tipper Gore on a campaign to shut down everything that was marketed. Mm -hmm. MTV announced they wouldn't let you market R rated movies to any kids. And most of the, the movie marketing people felt that the way to reach kids was through MTV at mm -hmm. that time. Right. right. So you're walking again into a room, Right. We want to go R-rated. We want to talk about losing their virginity. We're going to have drunks, right? We're going to be politically incorrect. We're going to, we want to spend $11 million, right? And we're going to have no stars. <laughs> Once again, your AI, your guy who brings out oh, your sure. spreadsheet is looking at me and going, thanks for your time, Chris. As a friend, start looking at the data, Yeah. right? And I'm going to say to him, as your friend, you better start picking a couple of these things that just feel like people might like it. Because sure. the difference for me and, and where I react to data is the point is that you can see what people like in a thematic way, in a structural way of how it's delivered, in a, sure. you know, and where I think that becomes super valuable is the budgets you spend on it. $150 million version of American Pie, dumbest waste of time ever, <laughs> right? So the guy who comes in and says, okay, Chris, you're right. I grew up on Porky's and Fast Times and all these R-rated movies. That's where I went to learn about culture. I'm from a tiny little town. I went into the theater and said, this is how people are doing Saturday Night Fever, all this other shit, right? And I'm like, those kids aren't getting that. The kid in my hometown right now, back in 1993, when we made American Pie, he didn't have anybody talk to him because there was no YouTube, sure, sure. Right, right? right? And there was nothing. So I'm like, he needs an R-rated movie, right? And they let us do it. And they came in and they had the conversation about, well, you know, we really shouldn't spend more than this. And then in my opinion, they stupidly sold the foreign, right? So that their investment was four million bucks. Yeah. And they made 220. Okay, I don't care what business school you went to. <laughs> four million to 220 <laughs> is a good return on investment, amazing, right? Yeah. So what I'm, all I would say to you is, there is a part of the industry that has to be ahead of the curve because sure. if they're all analytics on stuff that already happened, right? So like 
Jason Blum deserves a ton of credit. Just saying, you know, the audience doesn't give a shit how much you spend on this thing. You make a scary movie, you go out there and do paranormal activity. This is a great, I can go release this like a giant movie knowing I only spent a million to $2 million on it. They'll spend the marketing while I make a lot of money, right? And the point is he turned it into a whole business. Now, every two weeks, there seems to be a Blumhouse movie and a Purge and a, sure. you know, Saul come back and they'll be. And the point is, once it becomes derivative, the audience turns off. That's the big difference with consumer products when you talk about the merger with advertisers mm -hmm. is people are going to buy Tide forever. Yeah. People aren't going to run to the theater to see horror movies forever. They will go in waves. And so I still haven't seen yet where the AI or the data that a consumer product company has about their product, yeah. right, coming into the content space has had a real benefit for either side. Yeah. Where I've seen it work isn't 100% data, it's demographic data. Sure. We, and where I, I see companies that I think do a great job, and maybe I'm wrong because I'm a content guy, but the insurance companies today, Right, insurance companies know what they sell is boring, exactly. stupid, <laughs> necessary, not interesting. And the truth of the matter is, most of the people are doing it purely based on cost because they hope they never ever have to find out. And the total greatest thing, it's like Kaiser Sose, right, that the insurance industry has done, is most people believe that when a real disaster happens, they won't help them. <laughs> so they pay the premium anyway, and they still think they're gonna get screwed over. Right. Even though we're supposed to, we know we're gonna have to sue you, right? <laughs> but what they've all done with their ads and what they've done with their attitudes is they've created characters. You got flow from progressive, mm -hmm. you know, state or as a state farmer, all state has the disaster guy, yeah, right? Yeah. You you got um, the Dennis Haysbert dude, you got J.K. Simmons out there doing the other thing. And then Geico is funny. I mean, they're just hilarious. They're, I mean, their commercials have nothing to do with insurance. <laughs> they're just straight on, hey, you can save money. Just, it's just it's, their tagline. Right, and the point is brilliant. that's the difference of these guys who are standing out on YouTube. It's the same thing. They're, what they're doing is watching a video game. What these guys are doing is selling insurance, right? The point is I don't know why. And this is the part I don't get about these brands and about this. They're spending so much money. Why they aren't starting channels, why they aren't affiliating with people and saying, look, we bought into this thing, right? We have the same demographic, right? So be a sponsor the same way you're the sponsor of the Fiesta Taco Bowl or the, like the point is, why aren't a few brands saying to Shane or saying to the and and saying, look, come in here into our house. Here's our thing. We we're doing two things for the audience. We're saying to the audience, we like this dude. And if you like this dude and we like this dude, that's something we have in common. Right. So maybe you should check out our products. Right? right. That's one. The second thing is this dude likes us. Right. And we're giving him some money. He can go out and make some stuff for you. Right. Yes, we live in the real world. We can't curse. Right? You make more money on YouTube if you don't curse. That's you make right. more money if you don't kill people. Right? Like that, whenever I do product placement deals, there's always that conversation. I always know I'm going to have to go to the director. I have to say, we're making a horror movie. Samsung said it was great. We could get all these free TVs. That's awesome. There's only one corollary. We can't kill anyone with one of the TVs. Right? You can't just pick the TV up and kill somebody. Right. He's like, well, that's bullshit. What are you guys doing? It's creative. Dude, the script's been here for two years. No one gets killed by a TV. What are you talking about? I was like, well, they can't. The point is, there has to be give and take on both. But, sure. my, but my point is that there, there's a creative group 
that in my opinion is a little bit ahead of the curve. And then there's a creative group who is really great at doing the stuff that the audience loves right. really, really well, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes the guy's ahead of the curve is just good enough that he also can market and capture that. But a lot of times you'll hear comedians, musicians, writers, directors talking about that dude that you've never heard of who yeah. was out there making movies or making music or doing comedy who was pushing the envelope way far out, so far out that he didn't make any money during his career. Yeah. But now everybody's copying him. Yeah. And, and that's all I'm saying is that when I hear the AI or the analysis so, or the data, I just react that there still has to be a group of people. And you're 100% right. And, but this is where it's different. There's different than this saying like data and then AI. With AI specifically, it's technology that's learning to think like a human right. and predict like a human. And so when those goodwill huntings come and there's a huge anomaly – it, it, you can train this machine to think in that way and to predict in that way as well. And, and so we'll see if that happens on this side. Of, like, you know, when it comes to like creating actual content, yeah. I think that's something that will still be proven. But on the integration side, for example, um, you know, we, you know, we've done uh, you know, a lot of you know, product placement work with you in the past, yep. and then we do a lot with um, online creators and influencers. Yep. Um, right now, we've created a model. Um, through through AI and deep learning, where we've looked at all the integration data that we've done, and we've been able to take that data and figure out, okay, which creators for this specific brand are going to have the most views and then the highest conversions. And to and, me, that and, is the hundred so, percent way to do. So it. this is where it's crazy. Already with one of our clients, and and you know we'll probably talk about this in another video. Absolutely, more, but um. They saw a 10x increase in yeah. sales just applying the AI. Yeah. So, so that's just seeing outcomes as a result of content. So I think that same thing will happen eventually in predicting content as well. And I think it's, it's going to be down the line, but it's going to have to be building a model or an algorithm, u- utilizing those people that are very creative and that are ahead of the curve. Right. And I think a lot of those people are creating massive amounts of content online digitally so they're going to have a lot more data, a lot more content, where, where they can use it themselves to predict, okay, how do I optimize what I'm doing right now, and how do I make it so I can consistently be more successful? Right. I think that, that technology is going to be there. It's, it's, it's kind of out there. It's, it's, it's very new. It's, it's crazy sophisticated. Right, but how, how expensive is it right now? Right now, it's extremely it's expensive. Off, yeah. No, I mean, we're, we're lucky as a company to be able to have the data scientists and to be able to have the resources to create this type of technology. And we're doing it because we're trying to go toe-to-toe with traditional advertising, with commercials and yeah. pre-roll saying, hey, you need to be in film, you need to be in TV, you yeah. need to be in these um, content creators' content because yeah. that's where eyeballs are and people are going to notice you. And, and you know, we're very confident that you're going to see even a better ROI. But I, I think this is going to be something that is going to be applied even more on a general in a general way when it comes and, to And I think where we may, and this may be always the line that is going to be interesting between all sides of this, mm-hmm. which is there's an execution to content mm-hmm. that has, in my opinion, an unquantifiable quality. People sure. relate to it. They're emotionally connected. And maybe the AI will get so smart that it can tell an emotional connection to something. I personally think an emotional connection comes from some person's background and some person's own wiring, something that had to know. So for me, not being a computer genius, but for me, 
to really believe that an AI, AI can predict an emotional connection to a piece of content, right? They would have to know everything about all of the audience members. Sure. And to know everything about all the audience members is a sci-fi version of a world that but makes but me you know super the nervous. The technology can do that a heck of a lot better than humans. I agree. They can know a lot more. And this is another thing. I was talking about unstructured data. Yeah. My theory, just based on our tests, because we're noticing that our AI is 100 times better than our employees when it comes to predicting engagement and views, yeah. and like you know, 10 times better when it comes, comes to conversions. I believe that when you are able to interpret the unstructured data, where you're actually able to monitor the audio and, and the visual, that's where you find the patterns and the nuances that where people get that gut check. Okay. And I, so that's I mean so that's that's my theory. Well, I hope I, we're, I hope we're both still around so we can come <laughs> back and do a podcast <laughs> do you? and no, see. Like for me though, it's like you'll always find these really videos that just have a whole bunch of views and you don't know why they have a whole bunch of views. You're trying to figure things out. So let me just give you an example. Is there's a video on YouTube that has millions of views and it's a guy just riding an elevator in Atlanta, Georgia. Like, that's it. It's just he shows the elevator. He gets excited about going on the elevator. The elevator goes up some floors. And it's just, you know, a very short video, probably four-minute four total video. And it has a lot of views. Now, going in a deep further on the channel, it's like he has 100 million video views of him going on elevators around the world. What What's actually going on with that? And that's the, that's the whole thing, I think. AI can go ahead and say, hey, there's something going on here that you need to look at, but there needs to be some human intervention. There well, needs to be someone you analyzing have to, you the have data. To connect the two. And the that's human... where the data scientist comes in yeah. and just say, there's something going on with this. Come to find out, and, and this is all coming from uh, the guy at YouTube Trends that kind of explained this. Um, he's, he's the head over that, Kevin is. Um, there, it was a community that loved elevators, but that community is more an autistic community than it was an elevator community. Oh, wow. And it was a way that for them to connect. And then oh, wow. they would have never, they would have never ever uh, figured that out unless they said, Hey, there's an anomaly right there. Let's, let's see what what's going on. And I think that's what the AI is going to do It's and say, look, it can do what you're talking about. It can see people's behavior online. It can see what they click on, how long they watch it for, you know, what engages with them, what they don't engage right. with, if they go back and forward. And then it also can predict, oh, this is something that's actually interesting. But what, what's never going to change, I don't truly believe a machine will ever do this, but it's like to analyze and say, okay, here's, here's the data that's coming in and it's giving us predictive uh, behavior of what's going on there. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what do we do with this? Like, what, what do we do this to make content? Like, for me, knowing that it's a, an autistic community that just says, hey, look, this is a great place to reinforce, uh, you know, advertisers and brands that really want to get the message out to, to go on an elevator channel. Would you ever would have a, encouraged an advertiser to go on an elevator channel for autistic? Uh, you know, they're autistic well, but I think what's actually interesting, not about the autism, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I think is that more what will happen is, if it can analyze, analyze these anomalies, right, what that really is, is what's the big conversation in Hollywood right now for guys like me, for other stuff, is how big does a niche have to be for it to be a market? Yeah. And, yeah, and, and the real answer, so if that guy, if that autistic, the, well, so that's the question, right? So is 500,000 followers enough to make a living? Because I think what we're, what we're coming to now, right, is this generation of YouTubers, this generation that has grown up with this content is, I need to make a living, yeah. right? I, need, I want my kids to go to school. I'd like them to be able to go to college without going to debt, 
right? Just because you're a YouTuber doesn't mean you're not a human being. Right. And as they get older and they start having kids or they start getting married or they start doing whatever, they're like, I want a nice house. I don't want to live like the Paul brothers and 14 dudes <laughs> in a frat house, right? I'd like to have my own house, Isn't that right? American pie, Paul brothers Right, style? but the point is they'll, they'll, they'll grow out of it, right? They, we, we, we all hope they'll grow out of that quickly. But, but that's what I think is the real thing that we can start looking at is what is a real business? Like you stood over there very quickly say, we all knew the MCN thing was ending. I don't think what you mean by saying that is everyone at Disney's a moron. No. They probably had some pretty good, smart analysts looking at that business and decided to spend $900 sure. billion. Dollars, I mean, $900 million right, to right, buy right. it. So I would just say, be careful on your side of the thing about saying, well, we're all morons on our side yeah. and we oh, didn't okay. know what was going on. A lot of people analyze this thing Right. And the truth is, why did it go out of business? Well, part of it was the culture clash between a Disney and a YouTuber. Right. But the other thing is that the business model, the business, how people work. are making a living over time. Right. That's the shakeup that mm -hmm. is destroying and making everyone totally insecure, which makes the industry really volatile right now. Sure. Because it, no, they're worried about losing their homes. They're worried about never getting another job. Will Smith is like, well, I did a movie on Netflix. I did this other thing. Here are my kids on you. Well, might as well have a YouTube channel. Guy started as a rapper, then had a TV show, then was a movie star. Oh, he's that, an that, that, he's that guy's an amazing, amazing entertainer, amazing yeah. right? So he's like, I'm an amazing entertainer. Here's this new platform. I better figure this shit out, right? <laughs> so he's going to figure it out. And, and I think that's why when people get all excited about the disruption, my point would be it's there's the underlying, the big underlying disruption is money. People need to be able to make a living, right? The second layer is all this technology and the new delivery platform is what's been massively changed. And then the entry, the barrier to entry has been massively changed. But at the very top, which again is where I try to work. I try to make movies to get nominated for Oscars. I try to make TV shows that people remember and like, right? And that's what I'm trying to do is figure out how to stand out from the crowd. At the very top, if you're in that group, yeah. right? It still comes down to the best performers in the right story, at the right budget, being marketed to the right people, right? On the, in the right delivery method. Right. And that's the same thing William Shakespeare was dealing with Absolutely. when he was writing plays. So I would just leave you that I'm not some Luddite saying we haven't gone through a whole change, but I would just say that at a certain level of creation, the Fine Brothers would be just as easily it back then created a minstrel show or a vaudeville show <laughs> or whatever, and they were doing skits on YouTube because it existed. Yeah. So I would just say, remember that when you're talking yeah. to these guys, because you can look at some of the past and start to see some of the things that humans do. It's very consistent. Right? Yeah. And they look for it. So, Chris, this has been really fascinating. Really, go more in depth. Go for like another hour. I, I really do too. I well, really I'm happy we, to come back we, anytime. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. I love talking to you. I know. <laughs> but as a closer, you know, we, we want to know: Is there any bit of advice that you've been able to get during your career that has made a difference and is relevant today? Is there anything like something that someone told you, or you're able to see that advice that could really impact creators and marketers today? Well, it's interesting because I would say the definition of producer isn't creator or marketer. And I would say what I would say to young producers is you got to decide to become a creator or marketer because the role of being just a behind the scenes person who is out helping these people facilitate or sell their stuff 
is getting squeezed and squeezed out, as we've talked about here, the guys don't need that. Creators don't need that anymore. They can do it themselves. So what I'd, the first piece of advice that somebody gave me early was make a choice. Are you behind or in front of these things? Are you a marketer, like talking to the customer or not? I made a choice because back when I did it, to be behind and to not be talking to the customer, that was a mistake. I'm trying to overcome that now because I'm, I'm not. Now, I got lucky totally inadvertently because I ended up being myself in a television show that people <laughs> liked called Project Greenlight. And so now I weirdly have a small group of people that remember me, that like me, that have some relationship to me. Plus, I have a resume of things that I can use to try to make myself into more of a marketer or a known person. So the piece of advice I'd give somebody today is don't do what I did, which is choose to be behind the camera. Get the hell out there and get known because being known is the number one commodity today because the number one thing that you have to be able to do, and somebody did say this to me earlier in my career. It was a guy named Joe Roth. He used to run Disney and he's a big producer now. And Joe just said, Chris, look, you know you're okay in the business when you're thinking about every day in your job the customer. You're, and you're not thinking about the industry. You're not thinking about the VP at Netflix. You're not thinking about the agent. You're thinking about the customer. Because if you get to a job where you're actually thinking about the customer, that's a real job. And I think what Joe was right about, and this was you know, 22 years ago, right? What Joe was right about is all the people who have been thinking about the customers for the last 22 years are succeeding. I didn't listen to Joe, and I stayed back in my little shell and said, here, but Matt and Ben did. They went out there, and they're wildly successful, and they have reputations, and people know them, whether they like them, dislike them, whatever, but they know who they are, and that will sustain them for a period of time because they're really good at what they do, right? But for a guy like me, it becomes a more thing. So I know it wasn't specific. I think for a creator, you have to accept that promotion is part of your job. And if you're not willing to accept that, right, and that's why you, you still can drive down Sunset Boulevard and you can see small bands putting up flyers on, <laughs> on their thing, and I'm sure they're doing it digitally too, for their show that they're getting at the whiskey, right? And the point is, even that, right, is the same thing as what the YouTubers are doing. Is they're basically putting up digital flyers and saying, hey, I'm doing this video or comedy or this right. documentary yeah, or whatever it is. And I think you just have to accept that we are in the show business and part of that is promotion and the business did get drunk with separating all of it out. These are the marketers, these are the creators, the, these are the financiers and they can come together in their own little circle and it's a totally insular business. Right? What advice would you give brands in working with a producer like yourself or like a, a content creator? So you gotta be super honest with yourself about what your brand says. Right. Like, I, you know, I, I just think that that's the hardest part is when you sit down with the brand and you say so, like when I did a big uh, what, do you, what do you guys call them when you bring in the product into your, pro, your project product integration, integration yeah. with Toyota. And I remember having this conversation with them and I really respected about saying, look, this is a first car. This is a couple that just got married in the world today, whether you want to admit it or not. Right. Toyota is is a little bit that first car it's not the most expensive car when you're you know whatever right. maybe you're gonna buy a lexus which is why you have lexus because it's your luxury <laughs> brand right but the point is there's nothing wrong with having that be an aspirational thing to want to have a new car or we could do it with wanting to have you were one of the first that sort of mass put out the prius and got the first electric car but the point is those are the authentic things that toyota has out in the world 
I don't know what you're talking about with your brands or your, I mean, with your advertisers or what you want to push. But my point is, that's why I'm coming to you about this movie is to have the father give the married couple their new Toyota. And we can integrate it in where they talk about that's the car they want. We can integrate it in about why. We can talk about the whole thing. And that, I think, is a positive emotional thing about wanting a new Toyota. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And they did it. And I think they were happy with it. It was years ago. But my point was getting them to have that extra conversation about the emotional connection rather than how many eyeballs. All that's important. Mm -hmm. But then to go one level deeper and say what's the emotional connection is what Hollywood does best is we make you cry. We make you laugh. You know, we get you scared. We get you excited. So think how your brand fits into that. Well, Chris, thank you so much for jumping on with us today. And I, I, I actually enjoyed the conversation. Oh, yeah. I, I wish we could do longer. this for like 10 hours, like <laughs> well. seriously. But it, it's been great. And it's really good to see your insights of how things are, you know, disrupting and why they're disrupting. And, yeah. you know, some of the mistakes that you even made, yeah. you know, along the path. It's been great. And all those that are listening to this podcast, you can download this every week. It comes out every week where Ricky and I talk about things that are disrupting the industry, things that are actually going on. And so you can download it. Make sure you share it with your friends because we want to get the word out and we want to interview very interesting people. Don't you want to interview? I mean, Chris was really yeah, interesting. Like Chris, yeah. Like, no, come seriously, back every thank week. you so much for coming. <laughs> it's my pleasure. So thank you so much for coming on and go ahead and start disrupting the world.